what a privilege to be here on behalf of Multiply to bring greetings, but especially before we uh, get into the topic, I must say happy Mother's Day, especially thinking of my mom back in Ontario. I'm like, Brad was in my hometown all last week and I wasn't. That's not fair. <laughs> he actually was. Uh, but my mom, Grace, is just, uh, uh, she's a well-named woman of grace in the Lord. And uh, she and my dad are, uh, I mean, they're older, but um, you know, they're only in their 80s. And they love working with the old people to encourage them. I think that's just the best perspective, you know. And also would want to uh, not miss the chance to thank the Lord for the gift of my wife, Andrea, who's the mother of our two kids. And I'm just blessed coming and going. And uh, just wanted to say happy Mother's Day, especially to the ones close at hand who aren't with me, but the Lord is with us. And uh, just before we look at this topic of Christianity and other faiths, just a couple of quick words about uh, the perspective of the moment with, from our mission agency of Multiply, your mission agency. You know, the kingdom of God is advancing. And uh, I, can, I could go a long time telling stories, even in the midst of COVID and coups and wars and challenges and hard-pressed places kingdom of God is advancing. Praise God. Also, uh, the kingdom of God is, sh- the, the, the missional approach is shifting. How we go about pursuing, following God requires adaptability. So the kingdom of God is advancing. How we go about it is shifting. Yet we're more than 100 years old as an agency, and yet we have to adapt and this is good. And there, yeah, there are some things that are, uh, you know, heading back to normal. We are still calling and sending people as long-term workers. Uh, someone will be uh, very soon heading back to Japan. Uh, we're working with a couple who are praying about moving to Africa to serve. Like, this is normal and going forward. But at the same time, uh, we're doing some things like we've never done before. So, for example, uh, and there's a couple of prayer cards on the table over there if you wanted to get some information afterwards, some of the latest stuff. Uh, For example, someone who I can't name is, as we speak, driving across Canada to Toronto because from British Columbia, we're deploying a global worker. Now, I just want to say, last time I checked the globe, Canada is on the globe, so we can say global worker. (laughs) It's okay. To Toronto, you might be thinking, what? We see... Back when I was living in Toronto before taking on this role, I met some uh, missiologists who were in Toronto, uh, and I'm like, I'm so excited why you're here. Why, uh, like, why are you here? Like, why is the International Mission Board sending workers to Toronto? And I'm like, oh, but Greg, didn't you know there's more Tibetan people in Toronto than anywhere except in Asia? Well, the person who we have now sent from Vancouver Island to Toronto was living in Asia, uh, given the challenges of our times, can't get back, and like the, you know, the light bulb moment of, wait a second, we're talking about the same unreached people group on this side of the bridge. To plant the gospel in Parkdale, there are thousands of Tibetans, there's very few known believers. This is a, a wonderful group taking shape between OMF, Global Gates, us, others. Like, like, this is a big deal. So we can, uh, hey, you can go to Toronto, right? (laughs) Yeah. 
heading to that place in Asia, uh, maybe you could visit, take a picture at best, but for someone from here to live there, very difficult. So we have to adapt. Makes sense, eh? The other thing is uh, I wanted to share with you, uh, uh, it's interesting uh, how you know, we look through our history in more than 100 years. Uh, we've tried a lot of stuff. We have never before called, invited, received. We're a sending agency. We're now a receiving agency, receiving a gifted, called, capable, experienced ministry family from the Punjab to move to Abbotsford to be missionaries to their people group, their unreached people group. I'm like, yes. So their prayer cards are also on the table. I invite you, please take, the, take one, because this is a, this, again, uh, this is a profoundly unreached people group, but it's not that there aren't churches around who have tried, who care. It's just the culture gap is really large, and we need someone from there to coach us. This is not outsourcing, like as if one couple can cut, you know, they, oh, we're bringing a specialist couple. They've got it, tag. No, this is, they will coach us on how we can love our neighbors. Well, they themselves will plant the gospel like they have done under much difficulty in, in that part of India. Like this is not an easy place to follow Christ. And they, yeah, the king, they've seen the kingdom advance. They've planted a network not just planted a location, planted a network of under, you know, uh, churches. Again, you have to interpret that culturally and contextually, but gathering places. So these are uh, great days for the mission of God. And again, like, just thank you for your interest and your prayer and any giving because it all is working together along with others for the glory of God. You're a very mission-hearted church, and I continue to treasure that and cheer that on. This message, as Brad just said, follows closely in kind with last Sunday, which was the mission of the church. So this is really kind of like the sequel. And you know what they say about the sequel? You know, it's never as good as the first one. So <laughs> I really recommend you watch, if you missed it, uh, the, the mission of the church last week. I'll just try my best to, you know, not lower the standard too much with the sequel. This could also be the shortest sermon effort uh, because we're talking about Article 17, which affirms that Jesus is the only way. Jesus said it. We believe it. Amen. Off you go for Mother's Day brunch, right? <laughs> you might be thinking, this is the best Sunday ever. <laughs> but stay with me. This really is a big deal, not just for our mission agency as we engage with people from other faiths, but for you today in your world. This is a word for us today to ponder about what is our responsibility? How should we then live, as been said? And hey, if you are here today as a seeker, you're not so sure about this claim, you're welcome here. I'm confident about that. In fact, even if you're skeptical, if you're thinking you're not so sure if Jesus is the only way to God, you are so welcome here. I'm really glad that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus, maybe you're thinking, I was just going by, you're saying Jesus led me here. Jesus is not just a good shepherd, he is the good shepherd, and Jesus leads people to meet him. So thank you for being here. You are very welcome. Our prayer is that the Lord would reveal his heart of love to you as we open the Bible and talk about the one who came to seek and to save you and others. And I'm realizing I missed my click for the last slide. Uh, 
So just quickly from the AV desk, moving to the next slide. The mission of God is moving. Yeah, just one back there. There we go. Advancing and shifting, adapting. There we go. I'm on point. And now we go to our scripture. If you have your Bible with you, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 15, or your favorite app. I'm a bit old school. I love having an actual Bible. I recommend that. You can take, you know, just take it with you and take it to heart. But apps are okay too. (laughs) The most important thing is to read the word of God and daily and let it to take good ground in your heart. Treasure the word in your heart. Chapter 10, verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are in the same In this respect, they have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I like, yeah, amen, yes. uh, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how... Can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. So there it is. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But there it also is, is the call to live on mission as the people of God sent to share the good news And these are the people of whom they're called beautiful feet. I thought this should be the subtitle for the message. People with beautiful feet. You know, be like, what? (laughs) Remember, in other cultures and other places, even today, uh, it's more common to wear sandals. You know, soon sandal season is coming. Lord willing, it's been a cold spring. But (laughs) we do, (laughs) one of these days, sandal season is coming, and you will see beautiful feet around you. So last Sunday, and Brad spoke of the need to keep together the spoken word of the gospel and the expression of the compassionate care for people. This is an important creative tension that living on mission includes both what we say about Jesus and how we serve in his name. Both. They're never supposed to be separated. Now, uh, I don't know if you know this, but as a guest speaker, uh, your church sends a very helpful guideline to help you be well prepared. And I I read that you guys like visual metaphors. You like, so like, here's one, maybe this works for you. I've always thought this pair of scissors, which has a, it's pretty cool. I don't know if you have these culinary scissors, like you can actually take them apart, put them together for cleaning, but illustrating the point of speaking and sharing. Now, Left to itself, I mean, this does have a point. Like, <laughs> ow, like, but it doesn't cut. But when you put together, I mean, wow. This is what speaking the word and embodying the word is supposed to be like effective, clear.
Well, in the same way, we want to un- deepen our understanding of how to hold together these things, dialing in about how we interact with people, especially in cross-cultural situations who follow other f- faiths. That we would speak the truth in love. Speak the truth, but only in love. Again, this, these have to be together. So before we discuss what this means, how do we live this out, let's look quickly at Article 17. Here's the next uh, beep on our clicker. A little overview. Article 17 is called Christianity and Other Faiths. It's a very helpful guide for us as we consider how to follow God into his mission field, whether across the street with people from other backgrounds that the Lord invites to your neighborhood or you move into their neighborhood or people at the ends of the earth. It's organized around three topics and it seems to make sense that this would naturally be an outline because a good sermon should have three points, right? Apparently somebody said that. So the first one is Jesus is the only way. Secondly, God's universal witness and finally the sovereignty of God. So first, Jesus is the only way. In our increasingly pluralistic world of multiculture and multi-faith, this essential biblical truth about Jesus may seem increasingly uncomfortable. We need to talk about it. Pluralism is the view that the major religious faiths, and perhaps all religious faiths, are equally valid paths to God. This is pluralism. Very common Canadian common value. Scripture is clear in rejecting pluralism. Jesus declared in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one's come to the Father except through me. Jesus' self-declaration. As I've thought about this, and especially as we encounter other cultures that worship idols, sacred objects, I wonder if this is a natural new covenant next unfolding of the first two of the Ten Commandments. The God of the Bible has always been plain about having the full allegiance of his followers. There is no room for other gods. As has, I'm like, man, the Holy Spirit does theme parties. As has already been sung and prayed, we do need to check our idol inventory. There is no room for other gods. In fact, there's caution for the double-minded when it comes to faith in the God of the Bible. There's no place for those who want to double up with other gods to have a fallback plan, just in case. This is not on the table for followers of the God of the Bible. In fact, while I know there are many in greater Vancouver who would say that they follow Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, Sikh, other faiths, I wonder if the most common type of pluralism in the greater Vancouver is actually a mixed bag of beliefs. This sort of religion as a buffet, you know, like I come with my tray and I like the options, I like it as I like it. Some of this, some of that. This has been called the designer God approach. You know, what you might call plural pluralism. You know, a little New Age crystal, a uh, little look at the horoscope in the paper, 
little hand of tarot cards once in a while, interesting, uh, a Hindu yoga instructor, a water feature in the backyard with a nice Buddha, you know, uh, a little rosary, uh, a couple of Hail Marys, Jesus, Gandhi, our great moral examples. After all, what's the big deal? Well, we read in Exodus 20, verse 3 and following, number one, this is the first commandment. It might have been a while since you've looked at this. You shall have no other gods before me. Full stop. Commandment number two, you shall, which is kind of like point one, but what does that mean? Point number two, <laughs> commandment number two is you shall make for yourself, you shall not make for yourself, sorry. You shall not, just check in if you're listening, not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth below or in the waters below. You shall have another God. You shall not make another image of another God. See, I grew up in what was then a fairly monocultural world that generally agreed that when someone said God, that they meant the God of the Bible. Like that was just kind of like what was the general situation. Looking back, I'm realizing that many people, like they tipped their hat, maybe made donations to the church, but they didn't necessarily follow God as what we would say fully devoted disciples. I'm not here to judge, I'm just saying I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand the culture of Christianity within which I was raised, because it seemed like people served other idols all the time, things like their career, things like wealth, things like social standing, self-gratification. And I will never forget being confronted on my first chance to have what we call a short-term mission trip to, it was Asia, back in the 80s, where I was confronted as a young adult with my own eyes seeing people actually going to a temple, actually with incense, bowing and worshiping actual idols. I, I was like, this is not a metaphor. This is actually idol worship. I was deeply troubled. Now, later on, as uh, with my family, we had the chance to live in Bangkok, which is a world-class city, high-tech, like, like super high-tech. And at the same time, you cannot miss, like in the condo that we lived in, there was a uh, spirit house. And at least once a year, because we saw this happen, there was a very sacred and special day when people came and the monks were there and people put out offerings in our condo backyard. And not a spirit house like a little, you know, like you'd miss it. No, like huge, big. Distract the evil spirits, keep them outside. Give them a nice house is the idea as I understand it. See, I always thought superstition was kind of like a harmless joke. You know, like don't step on the crack, don't walk under the ladder. Or like hockey players, you ever played hockey? Man, there's some superstitious people. You always put your gear on the same way. You tape your stick the same. Like, it, it is a thing. But no, this is super superstition. Masses of people living each day in fear, hoping to catch a lucky break. The Buddhist observance outside our condo was serious 
business. We're deeply troubled. I remember once reading the, uh, there was an English version of the newspaper and uh, there was a picture of a and a story from a construction site that some one had figured that there was a spot, like this is an active construction site, that there was a lucky spot. And there was a picture of a queue of people waiting to touch the lucky spot. Now, one might chuckle, but this is serious business to those who have no assurance of salvation. They have no personal relationship with God. They wear amulets that were placed around their neck as young children. Uh, They're doubling up with clusters of amulets just in case. They're very aware of the spiritual world, actually, and are continually trying to appease the spirits. This is actually a big deal. And this really confronted me, causing me to ask, what is my responsibility? From our text, how can they call on him to save unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? Now, in Acts chapter 17, there's a vivid example where Paul himself, en route, visiting Athens, he's passing through verse 16, well, Paul's waiting in Athens. He's deeply troubled by all the idols that he sees wherever he went in the city. So Paul, standing before the council, verse 22, addresses them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you're very religious in every way. Listen to how he approaches this. For as I was walking along, I saw many of your shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one who I'm telling you about. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he's the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. He satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. He determined their boundaries. His purpose was for all the nations to seek after God. Are you listening to this? And perhaps feel in their, in their way toward, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. For some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we should not think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen of gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins, to turn to him. For he set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, for he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Verse 32, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. Engagement. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, 
and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Notice how Paul was deeply moved, deeply troubled, but approached the situation with grace and tact and and found common ground with them by quoting one of their own poets, like he's understanding what's going on. He identifies the unknown God spot in the midst of the many gods and proceeds to fill in the gap. Let me introduce you to this unknown God. Some believed while others laughed it off. Does this not sound familiar to you? I mean, you've tried to share. Think of my, my neighbor who's not with us anymore, and he was really old. And one day I, you know, uh, there's that meeting at the fence by the garbage cans, and, um, and he turned to me and said, Greg, old man time is breathing heavy down my neck. And just like that, before I could even, and I'm, we knew him and his wife so well, like they invited us to rent their other house. We loved, we prayed for them all the time. I couldn't even help myself. What came out of my mouth with such urgency was, have you made your peace with God? And he laughed. He laughed. He said, ah, take it as it comes. And as he walked away, I was so broken and I prayed. And it wasn't long after that he fell and it wasn't long after that he passed away. Dear Lord, thank you for your sovereignty, which is a second point coming up shortly here, because there's nothing else that we could do. We spoke the truth in love. We loved them with everything we had. And he laughed. But who has the last word? Spoiler alert. Our view is that we approach religious plurality like Paul in a positive way. This is a really important point from our confession document. We approach religious plurality, whether we send people to the ends of the world or send you across the street, in a positive way. Salvation is available to all. Like, you need to really grab this one. Salvation is available to all. I like preaching here. (laughs) Indeed, amen. We cherish the good news that salvation is available to all, not just Jews. We anticipate that in in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. It will be the most beautiful picture of a family ever. One of the most treasured aspects of this salvation in Christ is assurance, underscore that word, of eternal life. Assurance. A quick survey of other faiths shows us that in their religious systems, this is probably not the case because you never know you never have peace. Have you been good enough? Have you made enough merit? Have you kept that fast? No cheating. Have you not missed the required observance to keep in good standing? The God of the Bible offers peace and hope both for today and for eternal life. This actually is the good news. 
I once witnessed a village. I'm serious. Like, it was like, what? The book of Acts is also today. A whole village on the spot responded to our, our local evangelist who opened the word. We were praying urgently in the background. Like, now this guy's preaching. <laughs> and the whole village, we saw this. We witnessed this. Turn to Christ. That was the fastest church plant ever. And it is still there. And it is, it is real. But I remember the, the next day, because I, you know, I was like, okay, what just happened? <laughs> so, I was like, so the evangelist very carefully shared with me what he preached. And, and he actually pressed them. He said, do you know what you're saying yes to? And they said, and I will never forget this. This is the good news that no one has ever shared with us. People living in darkness had seen a great light and turned and followed Jesus. Wow! Friends, if you're here today without this confidence, we warmly welcome you to make today the day of your salvation. It would be our greatest joy. Be the greatest joy, anyone who invited you here, anyone who you see standing around who looks like they might be open to talk. Their greatest joy, the best day ever, to introduce you to assurance of Christ. Well, having said all this, one of the most penetrating questions now in front of us is what happens to people who never hear about Jesus? Because it's one thing to ponder those who reject the offer of salvation, but what about those who follow other faiths in places that are not yet reached? This brings us to the second point of Article 17, which is God's universal witness. We believe that God has not left anyone without a witness to the Creator's goodness and power. This includes the outward witness of God through creation as well as inwardly to all people through a moral conscience and a sense of the divine. I was thinking of Dorothy Sayers, who wrote a book I read in in seminary called The Mind of the Maker. And if I could paraphrase her, because I thought "This this is like really helpful. So to be, she makes this point, to be a creative person is actually what it means to be created in the image of God. Because if you're created in the image of God, You can't help but be creative because God is creative, like still. And at the same time, there's a yearning for relationship with the divine. It's within people of every tongue and every tribe of every nation. I did have the honor once of meeting Don Richardson when I did a mission training course. He's the author of some astonishing books called like Peace Child, Eternity in Their Hearts. These books describe how, like not just him, but missiologists have discovered that some cultures have like a pre-built, an inbuilt pre-understanding that's waiting to be answered. It's like being given a, a fill in the blank and you know everything except what is that answer? And when the word comes, it's like, well, duh, like I think that's what we saw in the village. They're like, this is the good news no one ever told us. This is what it means when the people with beautiful feet arrive.
It's important to note that our global MB family has many stories of church planting and growth in difficult places like Congo, India, Laos, like really challenging environments that the church has emerged in the, in the midst of very competing faiths and is winsome and welcoming people and growing. But they continue to function as minorities in their societies, holding fast like we are that God has universally witnessed and we're living in the meantime. Which brings us to our final point. What about the sovereignty of God? This is a large and complex idea, but for today, we want to focus on our conviction that the final answer rests in the hands of God. The final answer for my now departed neighbor, I I, I take comfort in this, is in the hands of God. I would also say in a sense of uh, like, Lord have mercy on me, I can't be, I can't help myself but to be too quick to judge who is, who isn't, who looks, not my place, friends, not your place either. Inspect the fruit, that's good. (laughs) But this is in the hands of God. Yeah, we affirm that the Bible is clear that those who reject the gospel of Jesus are condemned by God. This is eternal separation from God, a second death. But what about those who've never heard? In other words, is it possible for those who've never heard the gospel to be saved? Article 17 does not give an answer to the question, but chooses humility. Like, I I believe this to be a humble posture to say it's in God's hands. So this view of the sovereignty of God should then not be misunderstood as giving us a pass of being involved in the meantime. Noah's Brad preached last Sunday, we are a people of the Great Commission with a clarion call to go. Whether across the street or around the world, we are to actually be ambassadors of Christ. This is our common calling. Jesus again declared about himself in Luke chapter 19, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And friends, we need to remind ourselves that lost does not mean misplaced, like I lost my keys. Honey, have you seen the keys? Lost means perishing in harm's way. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him that they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? As we close today, and I, if, if I had the, another visual aid, it would be to give every one of you a boarding pass onto your flight to live on mission as you leave this building. This boarding pass is how we're supposed to live. What does it mean to speak the truth in love in the midst of such a time as this? How do we we proceed to get on board with this mission assignment? Got your boarding pass. Ready to go on mission. Well, hey, 
First of all, it is with humility that we may not come across as smug looking down on those who believe differently. Oh, dear Lord, help. Being right, this, as you know, when you're preparing a message, I don't know if you've ever done this before, like there's certain moments you're like, whoa, this, this is a big deal. <laughs> Lord, help. Lord, this, I, how do we get this right? And then I thought, right is in righteousness. How do we do this with righteousness? Or as John Johnstone, our First Nation ambassador says, rightnessness. That's a great word, which leads to relationship. Otherwise, we can slip into self-righteousness. And I'm just going to say, my experience, and it might be yours, to say that is not often very helpful for the cause of Christ. If people hear self-righteousness, not righteousness, it gets in the way. Humility keeps us out of the way because we lift up Jesus, hey? Jesus will draw people to himself. He promises with humility, but also with understanding. May, be, may we be the ones who go first. We take initiative to welcome. Here's a few tips from the mission field. Are you ready? Learn their language, even how to say hi, anything. Oh, my goodness, does that go a long way. If you learn your neighbor's language and greet them, even if you don't quite get it right, even if you try you're probably likely their new friend. Like, oh my. Instead of feeling rejected, they feel welcomed. This is like so basic, but have you done that? You can do that. You can research about what they believe. You can actually like be like Paul, like understand what a poet might say. It might be helpful. <laughs> Get in their time zone. What I mean by that is, hey, I'm wearing a watch, I'm attentive to the time, we need to close. But for many people coming from many other parts of the world, time is a secondary issue. <laughs> like, what time is it? So if you're going to sit down with certain people and think, well, you know, I have an hour, we'll have a good meeting, uh, you're missing the point. That's very efficient, very good planning on your side, but you're missing them. You need to sit until the meeting's over. Look for common ground like Paul did. Look for open doors for friendship. Be bold but with grace. They will very likely be open to talk about spiritual things. This might not be something you're accustomed to. People coming from other places with other faith backgrounds are often very open to talk about spiritual things. They actually do often want to hear your story. Are you ready to share? with grace and truth. And please don't err on the side that thinking we're only talking about belief as a, as a, a construction or uh, ideologies or ideas or points to be memorized or refuted. No, no, we're talking about, I mean, it includes that, but belief is actually a spiritual battle. We're praying upstairs before the service, someone started praying into the spiritual battle of people opening their hearts to Christ. I'm like, yes. So this then leads to the last point, which is with understanding, but also with urgency. 
to lovingly and urgently proclaim Christ as the only way of salvation for all people, says our confession. To love is to enter the spiritual battle for someone's soul. This is so urgent. So urgent. Jericho Ridge, when Jesus commissioned his disciples in John 20, 21, he said this, and in the same way he sends us today, peace be with you. That's a good word, eh? Peace be with you. But as the Father sent me, so I send you. How how was Jesus sent? He was sent empowered. He was sent sacrificially, and he was sent with great hope that this would actually work. And the kingdom of God is going forward. I invite you to pray with me as we invite the worship team to help us to close. Thank you, Jesus, for modeling the way as we've recently celebrated Easter. You gave your life. Yes, that I and we could be saved, but then we would be sent as your ambassador. So now, Jesus, speak to us, give us names, faces, assignments as we have our boarding pass to live on mission with you. And may it only be, may it only be that we would speak the truth and embodied it with all of your love, your compassion. You went weeping, Jesus. Send us out with that same posture, that same heart posture of brokenness, but also with good news to plant into people's lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.